You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Boston Loose Baseball, Grant Paulson, Danny Ruye, producer Darius Dameron with you. On this episode, Kate Cavalli has been shut down for a couple of weeks. Joey Manessis continues to hit. We're waiting on C.J. Abrams to look more comfortable at the plate. And we'll take a peek at some of the prospects in the minor league system as we like to do. All coming up on Bust and Loose Baseball, which starts right now. This is Bust and Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Episode 34 of Boston Loose Baseball. Welcome in, everybody. Grant, Danny, and Darius with you. Got to start with the news that was a big surprise this week, and it was really disappointing. Kate Cavalli being shut down, at least initially the Nationals are saying for a couple of weeks, with what is being deemed shoulder inflammation. He made one start. We talked about it. It was not a great start. It was disappointing. Struggled with his control and his command in the strike zone. And... Then he was throwing in a side session after the outing, and he felt a little discomfort. The Nats, using extreme caution, have decided to not let him pitch again for at least a couple of weeks. So I had tickets to the game as we're taping here today on Thursday afternoon against the A's because I thought Cavalli was going to pitch. Now I'm going to see Paolo Espino. But uh, this is really disappointing after just one big league start. It is. It's a bummer. Um, They're being cautious, and and rightly so. It's frustrating at times when you feel like, they're treating certain players with kid gloves, and you're kind of waiting and waiting and waiting. And I'm obviously talking about Cavalli here, where I wish they would have called him up a few weeks ago. Then we would have seen a few starts at the major league level before this inflammation ended up rearing its ugly head. But now that we're here, he, his shoulder's barking. Right thing to do, shut him down. You know, uh, make sure he's he's good to go. You want to make sure that you're careful with your prize possession. And Mike Rizzo made a good point on the sports junkies on 106.7 The Fan that I always try to consider. This isn't a guy that has spent his entire life as solely a pitcher, right? That's coming up from Little League all the way on up. He hasn't been just a guy that's focused on it, building arm strength, um, getting the repetitions and, and extending innings year after year after year after year. He's pretty new to being exclusively a pitcher. He's a two-way guy in college and, you know, kind of more from part-time pitcher to this is what he does. So doesn't have kind of the built-up, um, resistance to things as yet. And, you know, so when the hiccups come, even though he's, you know, in his mid-20s, you still have to be careful, almost treat him like he is a, a teenager in terms of some of his only a pitcher type experience. So I understand that it's frustrating as all hell. There's no other way around that. I just want to see more. And that's what's doubly frustrating. I know I use that word a lot here uh, in, in my opening soliloquy that we didn't get to see him a month ago, right? Because this was this was going to happen to Kate Cavalli, whether he was at, in AAA, AA, single A, playing catch in his backyard, whatever, he might have inevitably had that shoulder soreness. 
I just wish I got more than one big league start of it. That's my own selfish desire and, and wish, but um, yeah, it, it, there's no other way around that it's really irritating, and it just seems like another hurdle, roadblock, landmine, whatever you want to call it, in this national season. He's kind of gone on record as saying he wants to pitch again this year. I think he'd like to have a better taste in his mouth going into the offseason in the big leagues than that debut where he struggled and just couldn't grip the ball and, and really had problems. But the team is not going to prioritize or care that much, frankly, about how he goes into the offseason or or if it's a positive or, or a negative start he's coming off of. And what they really have to prioritize and care the most about now is making sure that Cade Cavalli is 100% healthy start of spring training next year and beyond, right, to make sure that he doesn't ultimately have this issue lead to something else, which leads to something else, which then keeps you out for an extended period of time. Anytime you hear about a pitcher, and particularly a power arm, who is dealing with some type of inflammation or soreness, if it's shoulder, which his is, if it's elbow, if it's forearm, they're all connected, they're all part of the, the throwing mechanism, so to speak, I am nervous. You know, I'm worried. We've had some Nats guests on the show, and they've told us, hey, this is a minor thing. This is preliminary. This is you know, just them being cautious. It's nothing to see here, essentially. I don't really play that game. I, I hope that's the case, and, yep. and I will work back from uh, the idea that this could lead to something bigger and worse, and you just have to prepare for whatever comes. But, yes, I, I am kind of preparing for the worst and expecting the best, I guess. Maybe he pitches a couple weeks from now and he makes two starts or something somehow at the major league level before the season's over and he throws five innings two times. That would be awesome. But there's also a really good chance we don't see him again until the offseason and and hopefully he's ready to go in spring training. But it was just disappointing because you're coming off of this outing the whole point, I think, after his first start, I texted someone with the Nationals. I said, what would you think? And they said, yeah, disappointing. And they gave all their thoughts, which are similar to the things you and I broke down. But then they said it's it's behind him. Like, the, the most important thing was that it was over. And now I can't wait to see when he's more comfortable and hopefully has uh, his stuff, you know, next start, what he looks like. And we're robbed of that. So that that's the, the tough part, I I'm think. I'm just bummed about it. But I- imagine what it's like for him. Yeah. You know, you've waited your whole life for that chance. It didn't go how you wanted you internalize that night that it's okay because you'll get another opportunity in five days, and now you might have to wait months and months and months to get that taste out of your mouth. Well put. I mean, it's again, I can only imagine how frustrating it is for him. I mean, you hear those stories of, you know, the guys. It's Kevin Costner-esque in Bull Durham. You get called up for 28 days, and that's the only time you get to hang out in the major leagues and you hit white balls for batting practice. Then it's back on the farm, and you're you know catching nuke Lelouch. You know, I mean, it's those kinds of stories. Are, are are a millionfold, you know, the romanticism of baseball um, therein, but he's different. This was supposed to be the beginning. This was supposed to be the the, the blossoming, right? This was supposed to be, we'll, we'll go through the adversity, the ups and downs, but all of us who are just, I, I don't know, I don't want to over-dramatize it, Grant, but we're looking for reasons to hope here. Uh, this group is 42 games under 500. They're, they're getting sandblasted most nights. We're just begging, pleading, hoping for a reason to be excited about something that hasn't even happened yet. You know, years in the future, potentially. And and potentially, that's not even a word, potentially. We're looking at, a, we're just looking for glimpses. I saw a little glimpse in Kate Cavalli's bad start the other day. I know the numbers weren't any good, and I've 
We've talked about that ad nauseum. We broke it down, um, I, I think, pretty well. But I saw the thing. I saw that hammer curveball that guys couldn't hit. The one that started belly button high that you know almost bounced. Nasty. I saw that riding fastball. I saw weak contact. I saw uh, a, a changeup that was supposed to be his fourth pitch that looked pretty damn good to me uh, a couple times over. I saw the thing. I just wanted to see more. I, I I got that little tiny appetizer. It's that you go to Wegmans, you go to Whole Foods. You want a sample? Yeah, sure. I got the taste, and then I couldn't find it in the store. I want it. So as a fan, as somebody that follows this thing, and and you and I are going from lily pad to lily pad, going from you know Mackenzie Gore picked up a baseball and played some long toss. Is that good? Is that what we can hang our hat on? C.J. Abrams is playing every day. Who we'll talk about in a minute. That's something good. We're we're, we're looking for things. In, in sort of this funhouse mirror style, as they're getting you know boat raced most nights. Again, as I said, forty-two games under five hundred as of this recording, where we're trying to find a reason to give a damn, trying to find a reason to be excited, and that's taken from us. There's no other way to say that that sucks. The other part of this, I think, that matters too with Cavalli is it's part of a bigger trend this year, where if you take out you know the guys that came over in the Soto deal. Your Robert Hassels, Elijah Greens, James Woods, you know, the draft picked Green, and then the guys that were acquired in that trade. They're top prospects now. Before the deadline trade of Soto and Bell and this year's draft, Cavalli, House, and Henry were the top prospects in the system. Brady House was shut down months ago and is not going to play again this year with a back injury. Cole Henry just came on our podcast now a couple of weeks ago to tell everyone he was having thoracic outlet syndrome surgery. And he had his procedure five days ago. So if you're listening and and you got some time, send him a tweet and wish him well and tell him you hope he's feeling all right. He just had a rib taken out. That's a really serious procedure for a pitcher, and his recovery is just getting started now. I checked in on him the other day, and he said he couldn't laugh or or sneeze. He's like, I'm trying really hard not to sneeze right now because it's really painful. But... My point is, the top three prospects in the system at the start of this year, Cavalli gets to the big leagues, makes one start, has this shoulder problem. Brady House, back issue, shut down after a couple of months. And then Cole Henry, thoracic outlet. You, you couldn't ask for a worse go of it here. Now, luckily, they've added James Wood, who we talked about last podcast, I saw in Fredericksburg, and looks like one of the better prospects in A-ball in the sport. Elijah Green just played at the FCL level in rookie ball in the, the complex league and put up some interesting power and, and offensive numbers to go along with all of the strikeouts that'll come with his swing. Robert Hassel's in double A, their uh, you know, lefty bat who came over in the Soto deal and the, the, the Padres sent them the twenty one year old who's gonna be in the big leagues next year. So you, you've added to this system, and this is why you have to add, because you just don't know who's going to get hurt, who's not going to make it, who's never going to develop into what you think they're going to even from the can't-miss group. So I guess that's also just something that I would throw out there is it's not Cavalli with the shoulder in a vacuum. It's Cavalli, it's, it's House, it's Henry. Yeah. In the same week you're finding out De La Rosa's got something with his hand, he may not play again, and the minor league season's almost over, but just seems to be a lot of that going yeah, around. Didn't even mention Strasburg through one time and is back. I was on just the shelf. thinking about their prospects. No, but I know, you, but we could do it at the big league level. No, too. you're right, it, and, and that's kind of that's where I was going. Is it? It's everything. It you and I before the season. I, I think maybe me more than more than you, and I'm admitting how wrong I was here. I go well if you squint, if you kind of look at it in a certain way, if Patrick Corbin 
has a bit of a renaissance and figures something out. And Steven Strasburg comes back. Now, this again, before the season, before we knew we, we were going to wait three months with no updates on Strasburg. Then he throws once, of course, and, and may never throw again. We'll see. But I go, well, you could see this group maybe being frisky enough where you could add something at the deadline and maybe they could be technically in the graphic, in the hunt for a wild card spot. Right? I, I said I don't predict that. I think this is a, a losing enough group. I think they know that. But you could maybe see it. Oh, my God. Worst record in baseball. Here we are. Everything that could possibly have gone good or bad went bad. Right? What has worked out better than than they thought, than they anticipated? Right? Nothing, I, I would argue. Now that we're, you know, after the deadline and we're now we're making trades and starting anew, there, there hasn't been a single thing where you go, hey, this Nelson Cruz thing really worked out or this Cesar Hernandez thing has been awesome, right? You know, the guy still has no home runs, which is just unfathomable. You know what I mean? Just all all the different moves that they made where it's a, hey, this is a nice shrewd thing that I liked. I liked these signings. I was in favor of Nelson Cruz. I said, what a smart thing. You're going to, you're going to have him hit, you know, 15, 16 home runs, spin him to a contender, get another prospect for it. Brilliant. It it all worked terribly. Everything that they touched this year wilted. It was the opposite, the anti-Midas touch. So you're right. As you compound, you compound some of these things, we're, we're, again, I, I come back to the same thing, and I apologize for repeating myself, but as you're getting your, your teeth kicked in, as, as you're getting your brains beat in, you're, and you're watching you know, Bob and Franny every night, you're listening to the radio broadcast with Charlie and Dave, and you're tuning into us, and, and you're reading the Washington Post or you know, the Times or whoever, you're going, I want something to believe in. I want something to hope for. I want something to, to, to be excited about even while the losing is happening, because I know the losing is happening. I made that bargain, and we've been hitting the face a lot, and it hasn't been great. Anibal Sanchez got a win. Yeah. Pitched well. Give him a little bit of credit. This is not what I'm interested in, but they don't really have options right now either. You know, I wanted Cavalli in the show over him. Well, Cavalli's not available. I would love to see Jackson Tatro making starts. By the way, we didn't mention him. Yep. He got hurt. That's right. Evan Lee making starts. He got hurt. So here we are. It's Anibal Sanchez. And uh, in his last three outings now, 16 in the third innings, just six hits, which is Pretty stunning, actually. Six hits in 16 innings and only two runs given up. Uh, Seven walks and 10 strikeouts. So he's pitching two contact, not missing a whole lot of bats, as you'd expect. But seven innings of one-run ball on Wednesday night. He he wore his old number. Just casually changed numbers, went back to 19, and looked like his old self. But a pretty cool start for him and a pretty cool three-start run here. Ronnie Ball Sanchez, so that was good to see. But I thought the big development for the Nats on Wednesday, maybe, was C.J. Abrams getting a little bit more comfortable, hopefully. He was hitting with the Padres a little bit. He wasn't lighting the world on fire, but he wasn't an automatic out, which is what he's been mostly here in Washington. But he was having big league caliber at bats. He is not a finished product, obviously, and he has a lot of work to do offensively. That goes without saying. But he's also not as bad, I don't think, offensively as he has shown here. Uh, at this point, this many games and at-bats into his career, I think it's reasonable to wonder how much power is he going to hit for? He's a little guy. Like, what is his offensive profile? But we would view him way differently and be more, way more positive about him offensively if he hadn't even played in the big leagues yet, like most 21-year-olds, and he was just hitting well at AAA like he had been earlier this year. But if you look back to Wednesday night, he drove a ball to the warning track, which was a Good sign. I, I like seeing that. He drew his first walk of the season, which is insane to think of uh, with the Nationals. And he ran the bases and scored a run after doing that in a way that was 
expected and obvious. That's what he does. He's special. He's fast. All those things. And he doubled down the right field line later in the game as well. So there was enough there that that's kind of the starter kit of what you're looking for. And I hope he starts to string some of those together because you just want to see a little bit more offense, someone who looks like they belong, that they're not overmatched. Because by and large so far, I mean, he has mostly looked overmatched here in Washington. In San Diego, Danny, he had 125 at-bats. He was hitting about 230 with a 605 OPS. Bad offensive numbers, but not like, okay, we can't roster this guy. 14 games here, he's hitting 160 with a 388 OPS, which, if you qualified, would be some of the lower totals, obviously, in baseball. Very, very small sample. I'm not telling you I'm worried. My point is just you'd like to see some production sooner than not for a guy who's just 8 for 50 at the plate and the double and driving the ball and getting on base via walk and scoring. Like, you started to do some of that in a performance where he had two runs on Wednesday. I can't remember what day it was, Jeeves, but he had a line out the opposite way. Um, to, to left field. The left fielder never moved, can of corn, you know, almost like he threw it to him, right? And it was a beautiful swing, beautiful contact point. Everything about it is textbook. And it reminded me that this is a process. So I'm sort of, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find the data that kind of supports my belief that he's going to turn a corner. And the biggest one I can find is his batting average on balls in play is a paltry 216. For someone that's that fast, that's just can't be. That won't be forever. That's going to regress. I mean, for example, Luis Garcia is in, uh, I think, close to 350 on his batting average and balls in play. And I'd argue that's going to regress, right? Stuff happens. His, you know, some of his contact rates, hard hit percentage, line drive percentage don't support a massive turnaround. So I'm not sitting here telling you that he's he's been robbed and he's actually a 300 hitter in hiding. He's not that yet. He's not a finished product, as you said. He should probably be, you know, maybe in double A, triple A, et, et cetera. But you know, there's no there's no reason to worry about it right now. I mean, this group, as I said, is out of contention. Let him get his feet wet up here. If it's not going to hurt him mentally, then let's keep going with it. But there's a lot to like here in terms of the skill set. We always talk about this. What's the best version of somebody, right? Not just what the league is right now, because everyone's trying to be cookie cutter. Drop and drive, hit as many home runs as possible, get on plane, fly ball revolution. That's what we want. That's what we are. And that's how you know teams are built. Well, that's probably not his game. Ultimately, right? His game is to is to is to use that unbelievable speed to to wreak havoc on people, and he should be you know knob to the ball, ball in play as often as humanly possible. And I think that's ultimately where he's going to settle in. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're looking for one for one ball, one spot that's in your happy zone. Sure, drop and drive, hit a homer, ten to fifteen homers. I think is ultimately where I think he'll settle in as his, as his best. But I, I'm always kind of curious. As to maybe what they see, what they think, et cetera, as he gets older and gets a little bit stronger. If he could be a wiry Lindor type that that hits homers, or if he's more, you know, pure speed uh and and you know and contact. But right now, things will equalize a little bit. He'll start to turn a corner. I think the line drive percentage will start to go up. That hard hit percentage really to me is the is the one I've kind of got circled. Once you start to creep into the 30s, I think now we've got a better chance to to sort of really be a an everyday major league hitter. He's down in the low twenties. He was close to thirty percent with San Diego. And I think that's what was happening, as you touched on early on. Struggled, typical, normal twenty one year old kid. As he got a little more comfortable, started to put bat the ball a little bit better in in a, in a pretty good lineup. I do think it's coming. It may not be as soon as we want, but. To me, there's too much to like here to, to say anything other than that guy's going to be a pretty good hitter, I think. Yeah, his average exit velocity, 85 miles per hour, doesn't jump out at you, but his max EV does, uh, 110. You know, that 
not is that everyone, right? Wow. And not yeah. everyone can hit a ball 110, especially, you know, guys who weigh 185 pounds. I was going to say, yeah. So that that's good to know. I mean, that's one of those things when I saw that that I felt good about. That's 58th percentile in terms of maximum exit velocity, above average in baseball. You mentioned the speed. He's 93rd percentile in that category. Of his 20, uh, 37 hits this year, I am looking at a spray chart here where I would tell you that just based on what I'm seeing, 19 of his hits have been infield dirt or in, which is not to say he has 19 infield hits because everything's kind of statistically ruled in different ways. But the spray chart of, you know, obviously left-handed batter pushing some bunts or slapping rollers down the, the toward third base in the infield, about half of his hits have basically, when you look at a spray chart, they show up on the dirt or closer to home plate. Mm -hmm. So that that just speaks to he's going to be a speed guy. Uh, Of his couple of home runs, one is basically straight down the line and left, and another is pull side with power to right in in a power alley. Yeah, But I think it's going to be a a slap and run kind of profile. Um, Look, he is is hit in AAA. I mean... you just can't tell me that a guy who handles the bat the way he did in AAA doesn't have the ability to hit at the major league level. Uh, at the minor leagues, and it just he just hasn't done it much. Again, he's 21 years old. We're talking about a guy who, when he was called up, was the, the youngest player in the big leagues. When I see what he did against 3A pitching, it gives me some legit hope that, that he's going to have a chance to, to help. Uh, that, that he's going to be an offensive option soon uh, in terms of guys that can contribute. He hit 310 with an 840 OPS. He had seven homers in 38 games. I mean, this is not, you know, Victor Robles right. or something like that. The, the tools are there, and, and it looks like he'll be able to hit. In his career in the minor leagues, I want to pull up some of the numbers because he's actually been you – know, pr- 393 in a 34-game sample, 296 in a 42-game sample, and 310 in a triple-A in sample. So you're talking about a guy who is well over a 300 hitter professionally below the big league level. Now, small s- sample sizes, I get that. It's been bad at the big league level. But while I am you know, somewhat nervous about power, I think if he's a plus defensive player at shortstop with great speed to steal bases and he can hit and make enough contact, because that's really the key, right? Yes. If he makes enough contact, his batting average, to your point on Babbitt, is going to be good enough because he's going to get on base plenty. Uh, the, the one issue I have is he draws no walks. Right. I mean, look, quite literally, he drew his first walk just the other day. Some of that can be bad luck because you, you, you things going against you, right? You stand in the batter's box when you're struggling, and you start 0-2, it feels like. Oh, yeah. In every at-bat. But... I look at like the minor leagues, or even let's just look at you know before he got here in 46 games in San Diego, he'd walked four times, and that's in the span of well over 100 at bats. It's five walks and 175 abs. I mean that's a closing in on a third of a season, basically. You know what I mean? Like yeah, he's been a two percent walk guy. I mean, it's not okay. You want to be a top of the order hitter? That's that's got to change. I, I mean, you know, listen. I, he walked I, more in the minors, but not a ton. He walked eleven times in uh, about one hundred sixty-five plate appearances as an eighteen-year-old. Fifteen times in Double A in like one hundred eighty plate appearances, and then this year at Triple A, one hundred seventy-one at bats. So about the exact same amount in Triple A as the big leagues. 
He had twice as many walks, but we're still 10 yeah, I, I compared think two, to five. Two things here. One, I, I think strike zone command and development will come. I think he'll be better in that category. But he's never. I don't think he's ever going to be good, right? Like a, 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 they're walking. Yeah, a, a, pl- a plus bases on balls, count working type guy for a couple of reasons. One, it's just maybe not who he is. But two, I, I do think there's something to this where let's say Pete Alonso's stepping up to the plate, right? You have to be careful with Pete Alonso. If you throw a ball in a place that he can hammer it over the fence, he will. That dude was born to hit home runs. Same with Aaron Judge. Same with same with a bunch of big guys, right? So that would lead to an increase in walks because guys are going to pitch you more carefully, pitch you more fine, etc. If they're not scared of you jumping yard, if they're not scared of extra base hits, guys will come in the zone to you, and there's a bargain that gets made there, right? We're like, we, we, we will take our chances that 75% of the time I throw this strike, it's not going to result in you being on first base. Right now, it's 80% of the time because he's hitting close to 200. That's that's it. A pitcher will take that every single time and twice on Sunday. If I throw this dude a strike, the only damage that might be done is he's standing on first base. Whatever. I'll take. I'll get a double play ball with the next guy. That's something in, in this day and age. I'm not saying it's it's easy for pitchers, but it's easier if you don't have to bowl your neck and pitch a guy super carefully because he could you know put you down two three nothing with one swing of the bat. I always think that's going to be a part of it. He may be a guy that has to hit his way on. He can be somebody that, when in doubt, you get jammed and put it in the five point five hole base hit. You you know you're early and you and you you know uh, sort of roll over a, a ground ball that can be a tough play. I'm just saying, like ball in play for him is a win because he's that fast. I wouldn't say it for someone that runs like I do, but someone that runs as fast as he does, putting pressure on defense, I think is the name of the game. Long gone. All right, let's talk about a couple of guys who are hitting at the big league level, just as we all expected at the start of the season. The two best hitters in the Nats lineup, Ildemaro Vargas, the third baseman, and Joey Manessis, who plays first base and right field. Manessis just keeps on trucking, man. Last calendar week, he's 7 for 19 with three RBI, hitting 368 with a 1008 OPS. Manessis now, since being called up right at the deadline, essentially. Remember, he homered the night of the trade deadline for his first big league home run in his first game. 24 contests he's played in, 90 at-bats. He's got six bolts. He's hitting 333. His OPS is 960. He's been amazing. We talk about him on every podcast at this point, so there's not a whole lot more to add other than to say that the 30-year-old can hit. I mean, he, he can roll the pole a little bit. Now, how does this happen? Someone, I was talking to a buddy of mine who uh, runs a sports bar near Nationals Park, and he's like, how does Joey Manessis happen? And he happens because, first of all, he, his defensive profile doesn't really exist, right? So he's basically a below-average fielder who's DH only. And there's just not much value in that for teams, number one. Number two, inevitably, when you get to a point where you're 25, 26, 27 years old, and you haven't gotten your shot yet, you're going to give an opportunity to a kid over Joey Manessis, or you're going to already have guys you're paying at the big league level that you have to use. So it's very, very rare that you have an opportunity. Think about the stars that I had line this year, mm-hmm. where you have to be the worst team in the league or one of them. Then you have to trade enough guys, including your first baseman. And if Joey Manessis came up in that first week, honestly, Danny, and he didn't hit much, he wouldn't just keep playing. They would have gone to... Luke Voigt and Nelson Cruz more often, or they would have called up Riley Adams. Like, you could actually make the case right now that they should be playing Riley Adams, who means a little bit more potentially to their future 
who they traded for last year rather than just sign as a, a minor league free agent who may actually have a future in some capacity in the organization. You could say that they should be playing Riley Adams at first base right now instead of a Manessis or, or what have you on the nights where he's playing there. So that that's kind of the point is he just becomes an org guy. He's an organizational soldier. Probably should have gotten a chance a couple years ago with the Phillies when he was killing it in AAA as a 27 or 28-year-old, whatever he was then. But they're giving those chances to the guy they just drafted out of uh, Virginia in, mm-hmm. in their outfield, Adam Hazley, or they're giving those chances to someone that you know they brought in on a major league contract. And so that, that's just kind of how it goes, but he's finally getting his shot, and he's making the most of it. So I'll relate it to my own um, – not that I had any kind of experience like Joey Manessis, but just to, to my own playing experience. When I was done as a, a college player, I was a better player than the 16-year-old. Then the 18-year-old that they were that any any organization would be drafting and following and developing and, and trying to figure out, or the you know the kid from the Dominican that they would sign. But there's no interest in me because they look at my ceiling and they go, "He's right there. He'll never be much better than this." Right? You you can go to Butte, Montana, be a, a, a backup to the backup backup, and maybe be a guy that's addicted to school mint and, and be an organizational roving instructor with 10 years of work on the wasteland. And I said, "No, I'll just I'll go live my life." But there's no interest in me, and there shouldn't be. Right? You should be interested in the lottery ticket. So you you extrapolate that to to higher levels where Joey Manessis has been, and the ceiling isn't that high. Now I know this is a blast and this is super fun, but but this is never going to be the guy that gets twenty million bucks in arbitration. You know, as as a twenty two year old, this is never the guy that's going to be the center of the baseball world because he may or may not be traded. He'll come back down to earth. League will get a book on him and and he'll he'll settle in. But he can hit at this level. But it's it's the the, the it's the flaw in the system in so much as. Scouts, organizations, uh, general managers, personnel people, they're all looking for stars. They're looking for guys that can carry the franchise and be huge difference makers. And it's very easy to have guys like this slip through the cracks, and it happens very frequently, and I understand it. Well, there's also something to be said for he doesn't have a plus tool necessarily, Mm -hmm. right? So, like, let's say everything you just said about him was true, but he had 70 power or something. He'd have been in the big leagues a whole bunch. Oh, for sure. Over the last bunch of years. If he had a 60-hit tool or whatever. Like, people say, well, if he can hit like this, he should be in the majors. And that's true. I promise you, if he was going to hit like this for the rest of his career, and the Nationals knew that, he'd never come out of the lineup. But that's not realistic. He is more likely, over 162 games, going to hit closer to 250 than he is 300. He is more likely, over 162 games, to hit you know a dozen home runs or 15 home runs or 18 home runs than 30 home runs, which if you are a first baseman or you are a DH or you are a right fielder, which are the only positions he can really play, like those corner spots where you kind of hide his athleticism or lack thereof, so to speak. Now, this is a guy, I think, in the 22nd percentile in foot speed in baseball. You need to hit for a bunch of power. You need to be a big-time run producer. So he could possibly be, over the course of a year, he could be a 24-homer, 80-some RBI, you know, 275, 280 hitter. But that's not overly valuable as an offensive profile at any of the defensive positions he plays, if that makes a lot of sense. So that's also a big part of it. Like, if he was athletically gifted and played up the middle, if he played center or short or second, you'd know about Joey Manessis. He Mm. would have been in the big leagues. A while ago. So I think that's all kind of baked in to the conversation here. But here is what he has done, especially for a bad team that's probably going to be bad for part of next year, at least, if not another season. 
He's in the discussion now for the Nats for next season. He's got to be. I mean, they need to try to think about bringing him back and having him compete to get at bats as a DH, as a first baseman, if they're going to be bad again in the outfield, in right field, whatever it is, because if they don't spend money and they're going cheap again, he's the perfect 100%. solution. Same with Ildemaro Vargas, by the way. He's a little bit young, uh, older. He's 31 years old. He's from Venezuela. Uh, he has played a lot more Major League Baseball than Manessis. Um Ildemaro Vargas played in Arizona for a few years and then in Minnesota with the Cubs, with the Pirates, among other teams. Um, he's now played in a little over 200 Major League games. What he's doing is unsustainable. I mean, he's a 243 career hitter with a 661 OPS, and right now his OPS is 200 points higher than that, and his batting average is 325. But... He's an upgrade over Michael Franco. If he can field the ball and he can give you a decent at bat, another guy that should be at spring training next year. Now, is my interest high in having Manessis and Vargas in the org or on the field? No, but it just depends on what they're going to do. When do you get your new owner? Are you going to spend any money? Are you actually going to bring in talent? Because if not, they don't have minor league ready talent to play at third or in a corner outfield yet. They just don't. So even if you do spend money, unless it's an overhaul, unless it's a you know and and a no salary cap, endless pockets, I'll just I'll buy one in every position. Those guys are still valuable to have, right? If you go out and get, let's say, a frontline starting pitcher, uh, um, uh, a right fielder, and a first baseman, that's a pretty penny. That's sixty, seventy, eighty million dollars of payroll. Whether or not they end up in the organization starting next year or having a chance to play, I guess will, as you said, it's just going to come down to ownership. All right, that'll do it for this episode of Bustin' Loose Baseball. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are back. We are better than ever next week. Give you a nice, juicy, lengthy episode with a dive into the minor leagues. Thanks for listening. Grant, Danny, and Dara saying so long.